many Packers fans? Okay. Steelers fans? How many of you watched the Super Bowl just for the commercials? Yeah, there you go. How many Colts fans? Ah, we're done. We're way done. We're way done. Always next year, exactly. Well, hey guys, uh, so glad you're here that you kind of trudged through the weather to be a part of today. And um, uh, yeah, this time yesterday, uh, I was over the parcel in God, uh, so hopefully I'll survive uh, this morning. But uh, I'm really glad you're here because we're going to talk about something today that it was worth what uh, you had to do to get here this morning. And we're going to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, over the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been kind of making the case that the God we worship is reliable to the core, and at the same time, He's unpredictable. He is consistent in His character, and yet He can be mind-blowing. He can blow the minds of what He does with people. And just when you think that you've got God all figured out and you've got Him in a box, He goes rogue on us. And He does something that is totally unexpected. Now, we've been looking at this passage in Psalm 145.3, and it'll come up on the board, and this is what it says. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is what? Unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things, these are the things that God will never reveal to anybody. He just kind of does them. It says the secret things belong to the Lord. He doesn't have to explain Himself to you or to me or to anybody. God just does some things that are truly only God intended. And they are just some mysteries that we'll never be able to sort out. Now, I quoted a brilliant uh, theologian last week as to why God acts the way that He does outside of the box sometime. I think the quote will come up here. I don't have a clue. I don't know why God acts out of the box the way that He does sometimes. I just thought you might want to have that so you can uh, quote me this week if you want to. And the last uh, two weeks, we've looked at the Old Testament. And like if your wonder meter uh, has been thinking about, uh, you know, this God of the Old Testament, I mean, He's just amazing. And God who is in the Old Testament, He's unsearchable. Wait and see as we get in the New Testament today and as we look at the Holy Spirit. Now this morning we're going to look at one chapter uh, of the Bible in the book of Acts, which is in the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. And we're going to look at the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And it's pretty cool. So let's dive right into it and let's look at chapter 2. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. And Pentecost is simply the birthday of the church, the beginning of the church. That's what that word means. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now here's my question. Just think right now that you're God and you are getting ready to reveal to the rest of the world the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to planet Earth. Now, 33 years earlier, God revealed to the entire Earth the second part of the Trinity, that is, God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, as He came to Earth. Now, when He did this, He sent Him in a very simple way. He sent Jesus as a small, little baby who was dependent upon other people. He was placed in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Just a feeding trough for animals. It was to a low-keyed, little bitty family in an obscure town. And you would think, well, okay, now when He reveals the Holy Spirit, that He would do it in a remarkable way. But the reality is, He does it in a very simple way. The grand entrance of the third part of the Trinity is only revealed to 120 people. And it's done in like a little conference room, like at Lee's Inn. And in such a not a grand way from our human understanding. But some outrageous and bizarre things happened when God revealed the Holy Spirit to that tiny little crowd. The first thing that happens is there is this violent wind. And then there is a ball of fire. And then finally, there is this people being able to speak fluently in languages that they did not know. In other words, it'd be like someone speaking in Spanish, one in French, one in Italian, and you're all speaking a language that you do not know. Now just imagine, I know this is going to stretch you a little bit, especially this morning with the bad weather, but just imagine if that same thing happened right this morning in the gym. This deafening wind comes into this place louder than even the worship band. Which I know for some of you, you're like, man, it must be loud, right? And it feels like the entire gymnasium is just shaking. And you're like, what in the world is going on? And just imagine that right in the middle of the gym there comes this huge ball of fire. And what happens that's even more bizarre is pretty soon the ball of fire just kind of divides itself and it begins these little bitty flames about four to five inches above your head and all of you have this little flame above you. And you look around at each other and you're like, Dude! you got a flame over your head. And somebody's over here going, No, Chris, dude, you've got a flame over your head. And this deafening wind is blowing and there's fire over everybody's head. And about the time you're getting ready to look to your friend and go, Holy crap, you know? Or something like that. All of a sudden, words come out of your mouth in a language, a foreign language, that you don't even speak. And you're like, 
I don't speak Swahili. And the person beside you, they start speaking in a language, let's say French, wee wee. And you're like, whoa, I know that they can't, they can't even hardly speak English, you know? And now there are 200 people in this room. There are only 120 in the case of the early church, but all of this is going on at once. The wind, the big ball of fire, the flames on each person, and the speaking in languages which you weren't trained in. And you would think, well, this is utter chaos. You would be like, are you kidding me? I'm so glad I didn't miss church today, you know? And you would remember that moment and you would talk about it for generations. Now, some of you might be saying, whoa, 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 bunch. This method to all this madness that you're talking about sounds very chaotic and it sure doesn't sound like it's describing this God that I understand. But you know what? You'd be wrong. Because God knew exactly what He was doing when He sent these three symbols. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. He understood very clearly when He sent these things what the arrival of the Holy Spirit would actually describe. So let's look at the first symbol. The sound of a violent wind. The sound of a violent wind. This was to let every single person know that this divine power was going to touch everyone's life. Which would be different from anything people had ever known before. You see, up until this point, only the supernatural stuff, only that kind of power happened when Jesus was around. I mean, only Jesus was the one who uh, healed people, or who fed the multitudes, or who calmed the sea, or who raised the dead. And if you were a follower of Jesus during this time, and Jesus is a couple blocks down the road, and uh, he heals somebody and you miss it, you're just out of luck. The only person that had the power to do anything was Jesus, and the power was residing in Him. Everyone else was just a watcher. They just watched everything that He did. Jesus was the only one who had the power. But then, God did something that was outside the box. God sends the wind upon everyone so that everybody can hear it. This powerful, deafening wind is an indication that His supernatural power now is not just available to Jesus, but it's available to me and you and anyone who claims Christ as King. Now again, this is a brand new thought for these 120 folks. It had never happened before in human history. And this blew the minds of the people who were there and what unfolded in the days and months ahead. And let me just say for you, it's still difficult for us to understand this today. It's a huge stretch 
for me, even as the pastor of this church, to imagine that God has sent to me the power of the Holy Spirit to do things in my life and in the lives of other people when I tap in to His power. But it's available, folks. His power is available to every single person here and everyone who calls on Christ. You, the person who's sitting in your chair right now, has the same power that was given to the disciples 2,000 years ago. You know, I talk to uh, Christian folks all the time because that's kind of who I hang out with. And uh, they'll come up to me and they'll go, Ah, oh, Chris, I was at work, and I mean, I was just struggling with this problem, and I had to produce something, and I just felt all alone. And when they tell me that, I'm like, Really? I mean, you're a follower of Jesus. You had at your fingertips the greatest power that this world even knows, the power of the Holy Spirit. You could have just called on the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but you don't understand. Have you ever been to my workplace before? Does the Holy Spirit come in there? You know? I'm like, yeah! The Holy Spirit doesn't care what it's like. He desires to come and give His power to you. And it's mind-blowing that the Holy Spirit is available to everyone Jesus, when he died and went to heaven, he left his spirit here. And he said, you can be a part of my spirit. Recently, I had a friend uh, of mine who had a teenage daughter who was going through some some tough stuff in her life. And uh, he was asking me some questions. I'm like, dude, I don't have a clue. I mean, I have a 20-month-year-old and a 3-year-old. The biggest problem that we ever have is when Elmo skips, you know, on the DVD player. I mean... Other than that, I, you know, I got nothing. You know, people say, hey, don't you have something? I got nothing, you know. And uh, I didn't have a clue what to tell him, but all of a sudden it came to my mind that every once in a while my 20-month-old uh, daughter, Shiloh, she'll take her food and she'll just grab it and throw it on the table. And other times she takes her plate and she just throws it on the ground. And in those moments, I'd love to say that I'm this holy man that goes, oh, I'm so glad that you're my daughter. In those moments, I want to take that little kid and choke her, you know? In Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? But when she does that, anger comes to me. And if, there, if I step back enough, and it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens more and more now, I'll step back and I'll go, I've got the power of the Holy Spirit. I can choose to seek His power right now. God, would you give me some wisdom? Would you give me some scripture? Would you give me some thought on how to diffuse this situation? And the reality is, regardless of how old your kids are, whether they're 20, 20 months, 40 years old, God can give you the power of the Holy Spirit to help in those situations. Or maybe you're married and uh, you finally get a date night. And the two of you uh, get in the car and you're heading off to the restaurant when all of a sudden some topic comes up and you start having World War III in the car. 
I mean, you are fighting like cats and dogs. Not that this ever happens in my relationship, but just want you know to know that. It hasn't happened today, at least. We drove separately, so. <laughs> and you're just thinking to yourself, you know, what am I going to do? I mean, here we are, we're going out to eat, and this is supposed to be a time where we're energizing each other. And this is terrible, and you feel all alone in the midst of those situations. And I just want you to remember, when you do that, the Holy Spirit is in the car if you'll tap into it. He's available in every situation to calm the situation. And I don't do this all the time, but sometimes in those situations, I'll go, hey, Jen, let's take a time out. Let's just apologize. Okay, let me just apologize, you know, to you. And uh, let's just, let's see if we can do a rewind. You should do that in your marriages. When you start getting heated, let's do a rewind. Just go back to where it was. And you can't do that on your own, but you can do that when you seek the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, the sound of the wind of the arrival of the Holy Spirit that day was to make everyone aware that the Holy Spirit is present to everyone. That wherever you are, at any time, at any place, it is present and available to you. You have access to that power right where you're at. All right, well, here's the next thing. What about this fireball thing that happens? Again, there's this huge ball of fire that comes into their midst that shows up in the room and it terrifies everyone. And if that wasn't scary enough, after that then, it divides itself and it lands on each person who's in the room. Every man, every woman. It's like a uh, non-gender specific, you know? I mean, it's just a flame that will fall on anybody. Rich, the poor, the young, the old, whatever it is, Packer fans, Steeler fans, you know, all of them get hit with this flame. And this little symbol of flames over everyone's head has this huge theological significance. The symbol is so mind-blowing because, once again, God goes rogue. He gets out of the box. Now dial in here just for a second. For thousands of years, there was this sharp distinction between people of faith and the clergy. There was a sharp distinction between kind of rank and file kind of people and those who were pastors or clergy. Clergy or pastors were ones that kind of had this hotline directly to God. They had an inside track to heaven. Clergy and pastors kind of had this holy stuff that was given to them. They were the ones who were uniquely qualified to do public prayers, to preach publicly, to prepare sacrifices. They administered the sacraments to people. They listened to confessions. They absolved people from their sins. They counseled the confused. They buried and married people. But the super holy stuff could never be done by anyone else other than a pastor or someone who was clergy. The system in the Old Testament was just not set up any other way. Again, priests and clergy had some kind of special power from above that no one else had. 
But then the Holy Spirit arrives with these tongues of fire that are distributed to everyone. I mean, it didn't just fall on the heads of the rock stars of that day. You know, Jesus' three closest guys, Peter, James, and John. But it fell on everybody that was in the room. And it symbolizes, now, now get this, that everyone now is going to receive a special anointing, a special ability to minister to other people. That everyone is on equal standing and receives a special ability to do the purposes of God in this world. And the distinction now between clergy and laity is demolished. It no longer exists. Now this happened so much so that a little while after this whole thing happened, Peter goes out onto the streets and a crowd gathers around him. And they're wondering what in the world happened in that room with those 120 people. We want to hear about this risen Christ. And Peter recognizes, he kind of looks around, and he's like, hey, there's no pastor here, but I'm feeling like people should know who this Jesus is. And so he gives his first sermon that he ever gave. And as he's you know, starting this, all of a sudden he's thinking, what am I doing? I'm not a pastor. I never went to seminary. I never took a preaching class. What in the heck is happening here? And folks, I just want you to realize that this was a seismic shift. All of a sudden now, the smelly, stinky fisherman who would have a foul mouth who pulled out his fishing uh, knife and cut off a person's ear one time, this guy now is standing up before this large crowd of people and he's presenting Christ to them. And it says that Peter preached with the power of the Holy Spirit and on that day, 3,000 people came to faith. Just a message by a foul mouth fisherman through the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, it's a shift of seismic proportions. This is God like taking the box that was all nicely formed in the Old Testament and it's like He puts some dynamite in it and boom, it is blown to bits. And I don't think that even today that we in the church, 2,000 years later, really understand or recognize how powerful this was. And that ministry should be happening by all of us because the Holy Spirit has been given to everyone. When I was in seminary, uh, I had the opportunity to go to one of the most effective Acts 2 churches uh, in the U.S., in the world for that matter, in Chicago, Illinois. It's called Willow Creek Community Church, and the pastor there is Bill Hybels. And he's the best leader that uh, I know of and that I've ever kind of set underneath his teaching. I'd encourage you to read anything that he writes. And uh, the, uh, the name of the conference was called the Prevailing Church Conference, Developing Acts 2 Churches. 
that we would prevail as a church just like the Acts 2 church did. And uh, during this conference, the auditorium at that time, now they have a bigger one, but at that time it was about 6,000 people. And uh, I don't know how this happened, but he was done with his message and he gets in the staircase and I'm in the staircase too. Just like the two of us, you know. And here's my moment, my claim to fame, you know, to like say something wise or to encourage him or something like that. And he kind of looked at me, he's really short, he looked at me and he smiled and he goes, hi. I was like a 13-year-old boy on his first date. I put my head down like this and didn't say anything. He just walked up the stairs. I'm sure he thought, man, that guy's got problems, you know. Um, But that was it. But during this whole week, he spoke on Acts 2, 42 to 47. Let's read it. The scripture says, they devoted themselves. Now note that word, devoted, wholeheartedly. I mean, this church was on fire. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And Bill read this and then he said, Can you imagine such a church? People who were wholly devoted, completely sold out, for God and for one another. In fact, these people loved each other so much that no longer did they even call each other by their first name, but they called each other brother and sister. They were family. They prayed bold prayers, and supernatural stuff just happened because the power of the Holy Spirit was present. And the socioeconomic class was no longer there. Gender walls came down. Racial walls came down. Every wall that separates us went away in this little community. They broke bread together. And what that means is that they took off their mask. They no longer tried to put on some front that they were something that they weren't, but they just were truly who they were. And they just got real with each other. And they would share their faith. They would even risk their life for their faith. And God honored their faith. And He added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. And I remember Him saying, why can't a community like that exist today? Has God lost His stuff? Has the Holy Spirit lost His punch? I mean, why can't a community of faith like that be built today? And I remember sitting there in this huge auditorium, 6,000 seat capacity in Chicago, Illinois, and I thought, you know what? The reality is a community like that should happen. But it needs to happen like at a church like this. A mega church. Someone with mega pastor gifts like Bill Hybels. I mean, I'm not mega anything. The only thing mega I have ever been, my wife says sometimes, is a mega mouth, you know? 
But then, he said on Pentecost, the gifts were given to everybody. And every church, whether they had 20, or whether they had 200, or whether they had 20,000, those who sought the power of the Holy Spirit, it came and rested upon them. On Pentecost, no longer was there this difference between clergy and laity. God could use non-clergy folks to do clergy things, to be used by God. And then He said, some of you here today need to go for it. You need to sell the farm. You need to do whatever you can to try to create that community. Now let me just say this. Today, in our midst, 98% of you work in the workplace. Only five of us who are here today actually get paid by the church. And three of them are part-time. And I realize that you guys work real jobs. But in a very subtle way, if you're not careful, you can kind of get yourself off the hook. You can... Convince yourself that I don't have to be accountable to God for everything that He's given to me because I'm not clergy. That's Bunch's job. And I wasn't trained for these kind of things and there's all this stuff that only pastors can kind of do. And so, some of you might be tempted to come up on Sunday, attend and sing and give, but beyond that, you think that's somebody else's gig. And the reality is, folks, that the church has been battling this kind of scenario for over 2,000 years. I grew up in a church where my dad was the pastor. In other words, I didn't get away with very much in the church. Outside the church, when people didn't know me, different story. But the people paid my dad to do the ministry. He said the prayer, he did the preaching, he did the teaching. He did the marrying and the burying. He counseled people, he visited, he cleaned the church, he did the program. Then they would ask him to go and to knock on doors of people to help bring people to faith. Now folks, I don't know if it ever dawned on this group of people that uh, I was raised around about doing ministry, that it wasn't just his job. I mean, they were good, loving people. They loved me. They loved God. They just never thought that they had to suit up and get into action. Folks, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you're not off the hook. The Holy Spirit is available to you and to your ministry. And myself and the staff and our leadership team will do anything we can to equip you to do it. Well, Bill Hybels was a person from afar, but somebody who was closer to me that helped me with this whole Acts 2 type of church was uh, one of my professors from Anderson University named David Sebastian. And what he revealed to me was the importance of spiritual gifts. I didn't know them until then. You see, the reality, folks, is every single person who is in here this morning is gifted. And for those of you who've made a personal commitment to Christ, He has given you a spiritual gift. In fact, He gives it to you so that the church would be built up and would grow. 
Let's look at this next scripture in Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man or a woman's gift is prophesying, let them use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern uh, diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Every single person who is a Christ follower, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has been given one or two or maybe more gifts. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. Some of you have the gift of giving. Some of you have the gift of teaching or, uh, you know, administration or, or whatever. But all of you have been given gifts. Now, Dr. Sebastian kind of tutored me by himself. We had a class, just he and I. I don't know how he survived, but he did. And uh, in that, I found out that I had three gifts. That's it, just three. My first gift is a leadership gift. The second gift was an evangelism gift. And my last gift was a teaching gift. And the rank of these gifts is very important. Because what happens is, God gives you the gift... And when He gives that to you, He holds you accountable to it. And when you use your top gift, actually, you get some energy. You feel energized. You feel strengthened when you're using that gift. Now, the second gift might be a little bit more difficult, but for me, evangelism gift, it's kind of a net-net. I mean, sometimes I feel energized by it. Sometimes I don't feel anything by it. It's just, you know, kind of even. And then the last gift is one that uh, it takes, it's still a gift, and you're accountable to God for it, but it's a gift that often um, is one that will deplete your energy. You see, when I'm done teaching here today, I've got to do the baptism class, which I hope many of you will stay. But when that's done, I will be totally wiped out. I'll be exhausted. Because for me, it takes a lot of work to do what I do each Sunday. I'm not a gifted teacher by nature. I'm not the best reader. I don't have the best thoughts. So I have to look at tons of resources, get ideas from other people, pray that God would actually do something within me, and then for me to actually share it and prepare it. And at the end of Sunday, I'll be exhausted. Now that's not as true about my leadership gift. When I'm in a group of people and we're trying to solve a problem or we're trying to give energy to something, I can do that forever. Just this last Sunday night, I was with our small group leaders. And we met together. And uh, by the way, if you're not in a small group, you need to get in one. In fact, today, on this snowy day, you should go back to the connections table and just say, I want to be in a small group. It's the way I'm going to grow, so I want to be in a small group. But I'm with these group of people... And we're talking about what we're talking about today. Fellowship. About building community together. And I was so excited and so energized. And you could just see people were getting it. And I was using the gift that God had given me. And those people, when they left, they were like, yeah, 
We want our small groups and every small group and people to be in small groups. Now, my evangelism gift, like I said, it gives me some energy and I find um, I can be real, real high and I'm ready to reach people. And then other times it's just difficult, but sometimes it's just even. But the teaching gift, it takes me a lot more. It's hard to do. That's one of the reasons why Chuck teaches a lot more now than before because it exhausts me and, and he teaches just as well. And so we want to share that. Now, I'm not pulling any punches here, but I just want to say this, that you are all gifted. God has gifted every single one of you. And I don't know what your gifts are, but you will be held accountable one day before God for what you do with your gifts. And it's not my job to find out your gift for you. Guess whose job it is? See, look, you, you know, don't you? It's yours. It's your responsibility. You need to pray and ask God. You need to search the Scriptures. You need to talk to friends. You need to take the questionnaire that's in your program. I know a lot of you are going to throw that program away. But this week, don't do that. Because in the, question, or in the program is a questionnaire that you can go online and you can take this survey and you can find out what your God-given spiritual gifts are. And once you've done that and you find out what they are, I want you to send that to me. Email it to me. I've got my email address up there. It's in your program. Just take the teaching outline with you. But you take that and you do that and then read some books on spiritual gifts. And then you have to experiment. Some of your gifts may not, you may have to take the survey another time. Because it may not be your gift or it may be. Because if you start using your gifts, sometimes then you'll be affirmed and people will go, wow, man, when you were leading with that particular gift, I just felt so encouraged and I felt the presence of God right there because you were using your gift. Or if it's not your gift, people will go, what were you thinking? Serious? You were trying that? I remember a guy early on in the church, he thought he had the teaching gift. And he said, no, come on, I want to teach. And I was like, well, we'll, we'll let you do that with a small group so you don't kill everybody. And the guy just stunk up the place. I mean, he would start teaching, you'd just sit there and you'd just be like, oh, could we leave, like now, you know? I mean, and, and I remember he, he told me, he said, well, people just don't have the gift of listening. Folks, you either have the gift or you don't. And it's not about, oh, bunches up here and, you know, uh, so-and-so. No, 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 no. All the gifts are equal. But you've got to find out what your gift is so that you actually are using it and God's filling your life. So do the questionnaire. Now, once I got this idea and I shared with Dr. Sebastian these three things, I said, do you see this in me? He said, yeah, I do. And uh, then he said this. I'll never forget this. He said, you know what, Chris? Don't go back to a traditional church. Don't go back to an established church. I was kind of offended by that. I was like, why? He said, those are great churches. They're important. They're doing wonderful things for the gospel. But if you go back to one of those, one of two things is going to happen. Either one, 
You're going to kill the church because you'll accelerate them to a point where they can't even exist anymore. Or two, people are going to kill you. Like, we'll see your name in the obituary section. You know? And so that's why when this happened, the power of the Holy Spirit came and we started something new in Muncie called the JAR. Now let me say this real quick. Some of you who are sitting there right now, you have the gift of leadership. And you use that gift every single day when you go to your place of work. You use it within your business and your career, and you're kind of going up the corporate ladder. But I want you to know this, that if you have the gift of leadership, that you're going to be held just as accountable as I am with my gift of leadership. There'll be no difference in the eyes of God on whether or not you use your gift one way or another than the way that I use mine. And if you have that gift, I just want to encourage you, don't just spend it all in the marketplace or in the things that you know and the things that are there. Use it in the church as well. We need people with that gift. We need people with every gift. That there's no distinction between clergy and non-clergy anymore. And whether your gift is evangelism or serving or helping or a mercy gift or encouraging or giving or whatever it is, use that gift to the fullest here in this place and in our community. I mean, God really could care less, folks, whether you have a seminary degree or not. He could care less whether I have one. He simply wants us to use the gifting that we have to our fullest. So pray this week, read your scriptures, do the questionnaire, send the results back to me. I'll be waiting this week to get them. And allow God's name to be made great. Okay, last thing. We talked about this rushing, violent wind. We talked about these flames of fire that everyone is a minister. That's what that meant, that everyone was a minister. Can you imagine if all 200 of us were fully devoted to God? We gave everything to Him. We served each other like the early church did. Can you imagine what kind of impact we would have? You step up. You use your gifts, whatever it is. And finally, there's this last thing. Speaking in a foreign language. Speaking in a foreign language kind of thing. Now, remember, this is not speaking in tongues or having a prayer language that's uh, taught in other areas of the Scripture. But this is everyone hearing their own language. Now, we don't have any indication of Scripture how long this lasted, but uh, it was a day or maybe a couple days after that. But Acts 2.11, the people of Jerusalem are on the streets, and this is what they said. We hear them, that is the Christians, Declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now what's that all about? Well, God was simply saying, I'm doing a new thing that this church that I'm building has to go global. It must cross cultural barriers and language barriers. The message of Christ is not for a little neighborhood, but John 3.16, which we'll see at the Super Bowl today, it says, for God so loved the what? world. Matthew 28, 19 says, go into all the world and make disciples. 
God loves the world, Jesus died for the world, and the church of Jesus Christ must give itself the message of Christ to the world. My wife Jennifer um, has taught me a lot about being a global Christian. When we started the church, my focus was only on Muncie, and she said it has to be bigger. And so the reason we go to Mexico regularly is because of the heart that she had for looking outside ourselves. She also then had us start sponsoring kids. Two kids in Mexico, we, we give money to monthly. And then two kids, one from Haiti and one from Rwanda, that we give money to regularly to help them as they fight much more difficult poverty than we do. And you see, folks, on the birthday of the church, there was this God breaking out of the box. He called everyone to be a minister to the global world. Now, I thought about how I would close today, and this is the way we're going to do it. When I was ordained into the ministry, I stood before this church uh, in Anderson, and... uh, they did this big formal service for me. I was the only one. But I still remember to this day when they did that, I thought, but this isn't just about me. Every single person here is a minister. And God has called you to different gifts. And so I've taken the vows of that commissioning service, and uh, I'd like you to stand right now. And I'm going to commission you into the ministry. You don't get a card, okay? But before you leave today, I'd strongly encourage you to go ahead and sign up for one of the things on Sunday to serve in. That you would say, you know what, you're right. I want to use my gifts in some way on Sunday morning. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to sign up for something. It's only once a month or once every six week kind of commitment. But for you to kind of do that and to be commissioned today to go forth and be a minister. So here is your commissioning. I commission you as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, having full access to the Holy Spirit and having been graciously entrusted with spiritual gifts, I declare you adequately equipped to fulfill the calling that God has on your life as you move through this world. I commission you to speak the words of God and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. I encourage you to live in a manner that glorifies Christ and to love in a manner that draws people to Him. I challenge you to overcome temptation, to endure hardship, and above all else, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to keep the faith. And in doing so, you will lay up treasures for yourself in heaven and experience in this realm a life that only abundant life followers experience. So now, God... I commission and empower every single person here today. I release you to be ministers to your family and to the church and to the community and to the world that you're called to minister to. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like prayer for anything, uh, come on up. John Bunch and Abby Guthrie will be here. And don't run out of here. Super Bowl's not till 6. Sign up for something in the back, okay? So check it out. Have a great week, guys. Know you're loved in this place.